Our passage today is 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through 3, verse 10. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today uh, approached by a very challenging topic, a topic that speaks of your uh, second coming and the judgment that will come with that, and then with that, the shame that will come with that. And so I pray for those in this room who are burdened by their shame, that they would feel and sense the freedom that they have in Christ as a result of what he has done for us. Please show us your son and change us by him through this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our topic for today's text is the topic of shame, the topic of shame. And uh, this is something, shame is something that all of us at some time or another have felt or experienced. Shame because of things we've done. Shame because of things we've neglected to do. Or shame because of things that have been done to us. Maybe on your way to church this morning, you spoke to your spouse or to your children or to your parents or to your friend in a way that you regret, and now you feel shame. Or maybe at some point in your life, something entirely out of your control happened to you, and you feel shame because of it. And let me say at my outset, my goal, and I think that the Apostle John's goal, his aim, is that you might be free from shame, that you might be free from shame, but not, not free theoretically, but truly free, right? Not shoving it down, not acting like it's not there, not covering it up, but to truly know the peace of Christ. 
And so I want to approach this topic by answering three questions in light of today's text. Three questions. First, what is shame? What is shame? Second, what is our solution to shame? What is our solution to shame? And then third, what is God's solution to shame? What is God's solution to shame? Well, shame's an interesting topic with no shortage of strong opinions, right? And actually, it's actually something difficult to define. There's debates over the relationship between shame and guilt. Are they the same thing? Are they something different? How much overlap is there? There are people who have done, uh, here who have certainly done more reading on the topic of shame than I have. At the same time, all of us at one time or another have felt shame. The deep weight in our gut that builds up when we know that we have wronged someone. The seemingly irreparable pain you feel when you have failed to do something you should have. Or this overwhelming pain you feel when something that was out of your control was done by the hand of, an, of another. At times, shame feels inescapable. But what is shame? What is shame? And I'll borrow my, my seminary professor's uh, definition, but then I'll show it to you, hopefully, in today's text. Uh, Dr. Taylor Lau, my professor from Trinity, says this. He says, shame is the painful emotion that arises from an awareness that one has fallen short of some standard, ideal, or goal. Shame is the painful emotion that arises from an awareness that one has fallen short of some standard, ideal, or goal. In other words, shame is the emotion we experience when we have a perceived standard that we fail to meet. And this standard can be good or bad. It can be just or unjust. Right? Maybe at one point you had a parent figure or an authority figure who had unreasonable or unattainable expectations or standards for you to live by. Just by way of illustration, uh, I led uh, VBS games this week, which was really fun. And one thing I learned very quickly when I was trying to teach kindergartners these games, about 15 seconds in, I would be explaining this game, and I could tell they had no idea what I was trying to get them to do. I had no idea. And now imagine, and I definitely did not do this, I did not do this, uh, but imagine if when they struggled to understand the rules, I got really angry and I yelled and I was mad. How do you think they would respond? They'd probably feel afraid, confused, and ashamed, right? To expect a kindergartner to understand the rules of a complicated game is an unreasonable expectation that could cause a child to feel shame. At the same time, shame can result from failing to meet just standards. Imagine if a husband refused to act when his family's safety was being threatened, or imagine a politician who is greedy and self-serving. Right? Both of those people would rightly feel ashamed, if they feel ashamed. So now let's look at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, when he appears, up until this point in 1 John, 1 John is spoken of, or John is spoken of, the appearance of Christ exclusively in the past tense. Right? We saw him with our eyes. 
We felt him with our hands. We spoke to him with our mouths. But now, John is speaking of his future appearance. His future appearance. So in other words, Christ came, past tense. Christ will come again in the future. And now, little children, abide in him so that, so he's giving the reason for abiding in Christ, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. And I'll talk later about what it means to have confidence when standing before Christ, but what John is arguing is that when Christ comes again, if you do not abide in him, you will experience shame to the nth degree. And it won't be like the shame of today where at times you're not at fault for the shame you're experiencing. Now the reasoning in 1 John up until this point is that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And in the same way that darkness flees when light shines, those who do not abide in Christ will shrink from him in shame at his second coming. The shame experience at the second coming is because God is just and he sees all. And so what is shame? Well, in the context of the second coming, shame is the experience of knowing that you stand before a holy God who sees everything, whose judgment is right, and who will leave those who do not abide in Christ without excuse. And this shame will again not be like much of the shame we experience today where it is a result of nothing we have done, something out of our control. No, the shame experienced by those who do not abide in Christ at the second coming will be the fitting response to the sin we have committed against God. And so what is the solution to shame? What is the solution to shame? Not just present shame, but the shame that will come at the second coming. And before we get there, uh, we need to talk about our own solution to shame. What is our solution to shame? Well, we don't just need to be set free from our shame as a result of our sin or as a result of sin in the world, but we need to be set free from our solution to shame. Because our solu solutions to shame don't actually solve the problem. I was uh, reading, I was listening to a talk by Diane Langberg, and her and, and others uh, kind of document four types of responses we have to shame. She says that we withdraw, we avoid, we attack self, and we attack others. And I hope to show you some of that in today's text. We withdraw. This is what Adam and Eve did in the garden in response to their shame. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they were naked and they were not ashamed. And then they sinned, and when, they, and when God's presence came into the garden, they shrunk back, they hid themselves, and they covered themselves with leaves. The second way we respond to our shame is we avoid. Right? Many of us, uh, when we have experienced shame in our lives, avoid thinking about the shame we experience. Right? We distract ourselves with media or substance abuse. We're just acting as though we don't feel shame, a rough exterior. Many of us are too ashamed to acknowledge we are ashamed. And then third, the third response, the third way we respond to our shame is we attack self, and that's self-harm or self-hatred, right? I hate who I am. I hate who I am. If you think about our, our current cultural conversation 
um, surrounding gender, and of course, this is a very uh, politically charged topic, and so I want to be careful, but I think it's worth addressing just because people will use statistical data to make emotional appeals. They'll argue that certain, um, certain surgeries or, or uh, procedures lead to a, a way of thinking or, uh, well, they argue that certain surgical procedures lead to a reduction in thoughts of self-harm, binge drinking, and so on. Right? But regardless of what statistical data says surrounding certain invasive medical procedures, uh, if your solution to your psychological distress is to cut off a part of your body, then I would ask you to reconsider. Please reconsider the consequences of that decision. The Lord made your body, and he loves your body because it's part of who you are. Finally, the fourth shame response we have that Diane Langberg cites is attacking others. Attacking others. And many of us know this. When we feel shame, we get angry. When we feel shame, we get violent. When we feel shame, we scoff or we mock. Finally, look down at verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. No, uh, verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Well, what's the point? What's the point? Thinking back to VBS, one of my favorite things about VBS is seeing my friend's children and how similar the kids are to their parents. At times, the similarities are quite striking, actually. And we all know the saying, we all know the saying, like father, like son. Like father, like son. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The reason that natural man, all of us, before knowing Christ, cannot free themselves from shame, cannot free ourselves from sin, is because in a sense, in a sense, our father is the devil. And the devil has been sinning since the beginning. And as human beings, we are made in God's image, but we are also born stained by sin because of the fall. And so our solutions to our shame are behavior patterns that at many times could be rightly called sin. If you've ever read Dan Allender, he talks about how there are healthy and unhealthy ways to respond to our shame. Right? He argues that when we seek to resolve our shame through drunkenness, or through abusing others, and other things that can rightly be called sin. Friends, our solutions to shame, avoiding our shame, withdrawing from our shame, attacking others because of our shame, attacking ourselves because of our shame, will not free us from our present shame. And much worse than that, it will not free us from the future shame at the second coming of Christ. And so what is the solution? What is the solution to our shame? What is God's solution to our shame? I'll just tell you God's solution to our shame up front, and then I'll show it to you in today's text. Here it is. God's solution to our shame is for us to see Christ in his second coming 
in light of his first coming. Or in other words, God's solution to our shame is for us to look to his second coming in light of what he did in his first coming in the past. Look down again at verse 28. And now, little children. Chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. God's solution to our shame is that by grace through faith we have been adopted into his family. God's solution to our shame is that by grace through faith we have been adopted into his family. When I was 19, I moved from Chicago, Illinois to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I had dropped out of college and I had not really yet learned how to manage my finances and my bills. And despite my dad's efforts when I was young, I didn't listen. And on multiple occasions, I would accidentally overdraw from my account. And I would have to call my dad, and I would have to say, Dad, I overdrew my account, and I need some help. And I can't remember a single time in my life where he got angry about this. He never called me a fool. He never shamed me. He helped me because I'm his son. And every time this would happen, he would say, John, it's okay. When I was your age, I made mistakes too. You're my son. I'm here to help you and teach you how to manage your finances. So let me ask you this. Are you ashamed of the sins you have committed? Are you ashamed of the things you have neglected to do? Are you ashamed of the things that have been done to you? Jesus, the one through whom all things were created, took on flesh and came to earth so that those who hope in him will be free from sin and shame. If you have trusted in Christ, you have been adopted into God's family. J.I. Packer says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the, of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And this is what verse 28 means when it speaks of abiding in Christ. To abide in Christ is to first and foremost by faith, see God as your father. See that he has adopted you into his family. It's to recognize what Jesus did in the past, he did so that the father might adopt you into his family. It's this idea that C.S. Lewis shared, right? The only one who would have the gall to wake up a king from his slumber is the king's child. Earlier I said that the reason that mankind cannot set themselves free from shame or sin is because by birth, in a sense, our father is the devil. We need to be set free from the works of the devil. So look down at chapter 3, verse 5. You know that he appeared, past tense, in order to take away sins. Friends, if you are ashamed because of your sin, Jesus came to take away the shame for your sin. 
If you have trusted in him, you have no reason to be ashamed. Chapter 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. If you are ashamed because of a sinful action that someone has committed against you, know that God came to destroy the works of the devil, and he has done that. That shame you were left with because of the sin of another, God has washed you clean. Regardless of what uh, has been done to you, you are clean because Christ has washed you. Chapter 3, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If you feel ashamed, know that by hoping in Jesus, you actually purify yourself. If you hope in Christ, you have no reason to be ashamed. God's solution to shame is to look to his second coming in light of what he did in the past. He took away sins and he destroyed the works of the devil. And so to conclude, shame is the painful emotion that arises from an awareness that one has fallen short of some standard, ideal, or goal. Friends, none of us have met God's standard. In fact, our solution to shame, to withdraw, to avoid, to attack ourselves, to attack others, God is putting an end to, right? They're dollar store imitations of God's redemption. The solution to our shame is that we are God's children by faith and that those who hope in him will not be put to shame. And I'll conclude with a poem I read uh, last night, or part of a poem. My life is like a frozen thing. No butter greenness can I see. Yet rise it shall, the sap of spring. O Jesus, rise in me. If you feel shame today, Christ has come to raise your broken spirit. And so let's pray in response to that truth. Heavenly Father, um, shame is a, a difficult topic that plagues many of us. Uh, even to this day, of, as we have walked with you for a long time. And so I ask that for those who are um, battling shame, that you would um, show them your son and how he really meets them in their shame. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>